0: Thanks for listening to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world. To find out more about Hope Church, be sure to check out our website at cthope.com. Awesome, awesome. Uh, Let's give it up for the band this morning. Just do a great job for us. So I'm um, just going to ask you to bear with me today. I've been a little under the weather. Don't worry. I've tested twice for COVID. It is negative. It's just allergies or something. I'm not really sure. Um, so if I'm going to my water bottle or if I seem to choke, <laughs> that's all it is. I'm fine. Um, So what you probably want to do today is take some notes, and if you have a a phone or something, if you don't have a pen and a paper, you might want to do that for this series. Again, all of our notes are found online as well, so if you're watching there, you can go there, and you can always go there through the week um, as well as we start a new series today called How to Deal with Difficult People. So, I know what you're thinking already. Let me try to guess. Here's, here's, here's what you might be thinking right now. Tom, this is perfect. Because I've got some difficult people in my life. And they need to be here for this. Yep. It's, it's them and not you. That's right. Or you might be thinking, Tom, you of all people should not be teaching (laughs) this message series. You are not qualified if you get my drift. Fair enough. Fair enough. You're all correct. Because the truth is this. We are all difficult people at times. Someone once said it like this, everybody is somebody's difficult person. You are someone's difficult person. And as we go through this, um, I am going to encourage all of us to kind of hone in, not just on the person next to us, but also ourselves. Here's the thing with, uh, with difficult people. I think there's four things that happen when we encounter difficult people in our lives, and this is why it's a big deal. Number one, uh, difficult people discourage us. Difficult people demotivate us. Difficult people drain us. And difficult people derail us. I'll say that again, because my alliteration is on point, man. They discourage you. They demotivate you. They drain you. Or they derail you. Any one, all four, any combination of that, and that's why it's so so important. And so, over the next few weeks, we're going to actually talk about different kinds of difficult people that we may encounter. They may be our friends, could be our our, our co-workers. And it may be our family members. But also, keep in mind, this person may also be you. So, you know, where is this coming from? Why, you know, why are we doing this? It's just for me, I think this is what's on my heart. Over the last couple of years, it's almost been impossible for me to look out in pretty much social media world more than anything and just look and say, what is, what is happening? It's like people don't know how to talk to each other anymore. It's like people do not know how to get along uh, with each other anymore. It's getting worse and worse, and, and, and I will say this, even though this is going to have something for everybody, I really do want to talk to believers, uh, those of you who say you follow Jesus, that you follow Christ, because we are held to a higher standard, in my opinion, and so we're going to look at what the Bible says uh, about, you know, how we should react uh, but I, like I said last week, part of the problem is for me when I look at, at churches or Christian people, you know, we are some of the block that they are going to have in coming to God or putting their faith in any kind of thing about church or even the Bible. And so that is kind of where my heart is with this. So, so here's what I'm hopeful to accomplish in this series. We're going we're to talk about different kinds of difficult people in our life and try to figure out why we have such trouble with them. We're going to look at what the Bible says about difficult people and also what that healthy and loving response might be to difficult people in our life. And three, challenge you to be thoroughly honest with yourself and understand and realize that you are someone's difficult person as well. And I will say this before I jump in. I'm going to acknowledge a little bit of attention here because this this might feel like, as we go through our teaching, it's kind of going to go back and forth. We're, We're talking about two different groups of people. Because I do want to highlight what kinds of difficult people we might face or encounter. And then I'm going to jump into at the same time and all the same way, like how we should respond. So you're going to hear me going back and forth quite a bit. So there is that tension I'm trying to wrestle with. I totally understand that. So for today, let me jump in. I want to talk about my first job for a second. My first job you may or may not know this, uh, was at Dunkin' Donuts. I don't know if I was 15 or 16 or what I was, but that was my very first job. And, and I wasn't really kind of uh, extroverted, super extroverted personality, really. I had a, a lot of fair intrepidation going into working for the first time, as I'm sure a lot of teenagers do. Um, but this job in particular was, was quite, quite stressful for me. Um, so, you know, we had a boss that was so nitpicky about everything. Now, keep in mind, he was not there most of the time. I think, you know, he was a franchise owner and owned a couple different ones. And so he would spend his time going to different locations, but he would get really on your case if that cash register was off like a dollar. And he would come in and he would start yelling and screaming at these poor teenage workers. Now, now you got to understand, listen, this is, I'm working like six, seven o'clock in the morning on a Saturday morning when people are getting up, they're going out to get their coffee to have their wonderful day on the beach or doing yard work, whatever, and it is packed all right, this is in Waterbury. There's a lot more people in Waterbury even than here. And there's just people out the, you know, out the door waiting for their coffee. And so here I am, I'm scared to death that I'm gonna mess up anything as it is because he might yell at me. And then there's the other piece of this whole job which many of you are familiar with. It's retail. You're working with people. And I could still remember remember the man who, who ripped me up and down because his coffee was not hot enough. It was constant, it was constant, constant in that job. So I, I quit. <laughs> I, I lasted maybe six to eight months or so. All right, so let me talk about another job I've had. I've had a lot of jobs in my life. I really have. So this was a job I had uh, somewhere in the middle of my college years. I went back one summer at home, and, you know, you're trying to pick up whatever jobs you can before you go back in the fall. And so I began working uh, for a guy who I knew who was in my church at the time. He worked in car detail. And um, I don't know if you guys know much about car detail, but it's, 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 it's a job. I mean, you are working hard, long hours. And remember, people are coming in to get their disgusting cars. They think it's going to be exactly perfect, right? Now, I also want to paint a picture of my boss. If you, if you think of 1980s, 70s, 80s mob boss, <laughs> this was my boss, I'm serious. I mean, even talk like this, we got those dudes right in the back, you know. Um, so so we he would come through and I'm, I'm like sweating because you're in the garage and you're like cleaning the tires. And he'd be like, nope, you see that right there. And I'm like, wow, I've just been here for 10 minutes, 15 minutes. No, you got to do that over again. Oh, man. You know, and then we have the owners, again, of the cars. We're talking like with this shop is like a lot of Beamers and Mercedes and Cadillacs and all this fancy stuff, and they were critical about what their car looked like. This is people, man. But finally, there has been no job I've ever had that's been more difficult (laughs) you know what I'm going to say, than the one I'm in now. (laughs) Yep. (sighs) Having been in church leadership for almost 25 years now, I can tell you, it does not matter what you do. It does not matter what decision you make. It does not matter why. You will get the feedback, the responses. Well, why did you guys paint that wall? that color. I don't understand. Why does the music have to be so loud? Why would you make that decision? It makes no sense at all. Why? Why? The church I used to go to used to do this. Have you ever thought about doing it this way? If you haven't figured out yet the difficult person that I want to talk about for a little bit today, I'm calling today the critic. We're going to talk about the critic. Here's the problem we have with critics in our lives. When they speak into our life, and I use that term loosely, it always feels personal, doesn't it? It always feels personal. And what that does is it leaves us in a highly unsettled emotional state. And of course, many times that can lead to a highly unsettled, unsettled physical state of being. And then we get to the whole mental piece and these feelings of inadequacy. And here's the truth, and you guys know this, and a lot of what I'm going to say, you might know, you just we need to be reminded of it. A lot of times, critics point out the things that we struggle with the most about ourselves as it is. In other words, when you encounter the critic, it's going to ruin your day, it might ruin your week, and sometimes it might ruin a whole lot longer stretch of time for you than that. And then you dwell on it, and you find yourself distracted, discouraged, demotivated, drained, and derailed. Now, maybe some of you have a thicker skin, could handle some more of that, totally get that. Maybe some of you have life experience that allows you to kind of move on from that, totally understand that. Maybe by personality, you're capable of handling other types of criticism, totally get that. But let me tell you, I would say it still affects you in some way, shape, or form, in maybe ways you don't even know. It's possible it's subconsciously leading to behaviors that are destructive and not so healthy for you. It could be something as, It might lead to overeating. It might lead to avoiding social um, uh, gatherings because you just don't want to deal. Maybe in your conversations, you're less present, or maybe you've become more cynical. See, I think there's ways that we don't even realize that we avoid it. So that's one reason why. I think another, it always feels personal. Another reason why critics uh, really get to us is that we feel the negativity. We feel the negativity. See, critics by nature have the propensity to see the negative first. And that's where it comes in, like, you know the right way to do this would be, or why didn't you do it this way? And they always seem unhappy and dissatisfied. And, you know, for most of us, we're like, we don't want to be around that constant negativity, the constant criticism. There is a power in positivity. We know this. And finally, um, like I just said, it they can never see the positive. And finally, another problem we have is that their words always feel judgmental. Always feels judgmental, even if they don't mean it that way. The tone feels condescending. And even though the criticism may be valid, we can't receive it because of the spirit with which it's been given to us. Almost always, the critic does not think they are being critical. Do you hear me on that? Almost always, the critic will not think they are being critical. But critics, your compulsion to get that thing off your chest or your compulsion to be heard because you have to say that thing, otherwise it's going to consternate you, is distressing to the people you're interacting with and most likely trying to help. And what's happening here is a couple things. You're losing your audience and you're losing your influence, critic. So people have begun walk the other way when they see you in the lobby, or they walk the other way when they see you at the water cooler, or they walk the other way when you come into the kitchen for a snack, and you don't realize, you're unaware of how you're being perceived, and you've created a situation, honestly, where... A lot of what you say becomes unpalatable for people because you've developed a spirit of criticism today. And so my encouragement to you today is to stop and to think before you go any further. And I'm gonna get back to that in a little while. Now, I wanna turn attention to those of us who are affected by critics in our life. And I wanna shed some light biblically on what do we do When we encounter critical people, and there's so many places in scripture I think we can go to, but particularly today, I want to go to a passage called uh, Galatians, Galatians chapter five. And in this passage, it's, it's commonly known as the passage which has something we call the fruit of the spirit. All right? A lot of you know this, you're going to recognize it when we read it, but let me set it up in a second here uh, before we get to that. Um, so here's the idea of what's happening. And by the way, I think every believer should memorize parts of this passage that we're going to read in a second. Human beings have been living in tension from the very beginning of time. You go back to the very first people in the Bible. There have always been difficult people. Why? It's because of something we're going to call the sin nature. Now, you may not have heard that term before, so I want to explain that again. So there's this word, first of all, called sin. Sin means we miss the mark. People are missing the mark constantly about God's ideal, right? That's what sin is. We're missing the mark. And whether we miss this mark knowingly or unknowingly, it's still sin. And so it's anything that violates God. It's anything that violates his perfection. And sin is universal. It's present from everyone from birth. And in and, 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 and theological world, this is called total depravity. Now, we don't, we don't like that. That sounds terrible to us. Like, you're totally depraved, man. It does. It sounds, it sounds awful, but it's just a descriptive term of saying, whenever we are faced Whenever we are faced with the decision to go God's way or go our way, because we are totally depraved, we are almost always going to choose our way. It's the sin nature that's in us. It means we're always going to have an inclination to go against God's perfect way. So the Bible uses terms and they use phrases like we're slaves to sin. We can't get out from under it. And this is why we need the grace of Jesus in our lives, everyone. And this is why Christians come to the point where they say, I need outside help. I need this grace in my life. Now, when we accept our total depravity, we realize we need a savior. We accept Jesus into our hearts and our lives. This work of transformation begins to take place and what happens in that work is that he says I have given you my Holy Spirit he is one who is going to help you and in other parts of the Bible he says he's going to convict you of sin righteousness and judgment right so that's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives he is there he's he's present with us he's the one who's going to try to guide us into the right ways of thinking and feeling and behaving and so this is the setup for Galatians chapter five, which I want to read together with you right now. It's going to be on the screen. So listen as we read through this. Galatians chapter five, beginning in verse 14. It says, the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I could probably stop right there and that would be like the whole message today, but I'm going to go on because we're going to get under all that. If you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. So I say, let the Holy Spirit, there it is, guide your lives. And then you won't be doing what your sinful nature, there's our word, craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. And these two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. When you are directed by the Spirit, you're not under obligation to the law of Moses. But when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear, sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. I'm gonna stop right there for a second just to appreciate that list. Because people you know, outside the church will think this is... Everything we talk about every single week. We we don't like this list, man. What it's doing is highlighting, though, kind of left to ourselves, this is where we end up. But let's keep reading because there's more parts to this passage that are better. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Here's the list. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified him there. Let me stop again and appreciate that part. That's what we've celebrated over the last couple weeks, that we do not have to live in bondage to that anymore. Do you hear me on that, people? We can nail those to the cross, leave them behind, and move forward in our efforts to, to live according to the Spirit. And since we live by the Spirit, now let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. So let us not be conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Sounds idealistic, doesn't it? It is. We're never gonna be fully all of these things. We are going to have to work at this until the day we die. So when we think about the critic, let, let's, let's think about a couple things. First of all, criticism is almost always revealed through words that are spoken to us. And as we go through this series, I think there's gonna be, there's gonna be two ways as we look at difficult people. It's, ever, it's going to be revealed. The difficulty is gonna be revealed through their words or through their actions. And today, and probably next week too, we're going to look at certain words. So I want to talk about the importance of our words. Again, I'm kind of doing a pause, kind of doing a sidebar here, because I think this is important even for the rest of the series. I want to talk about words for a second. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus is giving a, a sermon. It's kind of one of his more famous ones, simply for the fact that this is the one where he says, don't judge other people. And people really like to quote that for whatever their reason is. Don't judge, don't judge me. So that's one of his famous ones. He's talking, a significant portion of this sermon, if you look at it, it, is how you deal with difficult people, honestly. He talks about loving your enemies. He talks about being careful about judging others, particularly when we have the same kind of struggles and we don't even realize it. You know, it's that whole, like, You're worried about the speck in someone's eye when you have a big, huge log in your own. And so then he goes on and compares those who are trying to do good and those who are trying to do evil. And this is what he says in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. He says, what you say flows out of what is in your heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. In other words, the kinds of things we have stored in our heart will come out In our words, really quickly, it reminds me of uh, the illustration that came to my mind with this was a couple weeks ago. Um, I turned on, remember we had like the one day that was like 75 degrees and awesome, and now we're back to (laughs) 45. But that one day that it was 75 degrees and awesome, like I wanted to turn my air conditioner on. And so as soon as I turned my air conditioner on, I realized something was wrong because I got that smell. You You know what I'm talking about? I knew immediately, that there had been mice that got into my car and got in that airway. And so sure enough, I go, I open up where the cabin air filter is in my car, and it is packed, jam-packed with, with stuff and mice stuff, right? So, uh, you know, they had eaten through that filter. I went to Napa. I got a new filter, and I'm running that thing so that the smoke comes up. But that's kind of the idea that it reminded me of. It's like, you know, if there's a whole bunch of crap, there's a whole bunch of junk in there, what's going to come through that filter, we're going to smell it, right? We're going to notice it. And that's what Jesus is saying about our words and about our heart. And so for the critic, here's where I'm going to come back where I said stop and think. I want you to stop and ask the heart questions, do you hear me on that? Stop and ask the heart questions. And we're going to do it through an acrostic. This is not, this is not um, original to me. I saw this somewhere and I liked it. And so here's what you're going to do. You're going to stop and you're going to think. And so here's the acrostic. First of all, if, is what you're about to say true? Again, I, I could talk forever. I'm, just, I'm not I'm going to go quick through this. But a lot of times what we end up saying, we're not even sure. Is it even true? Have we, have we vetted that? Number two, is it helpful? Number three, is it inspiring? Or a better word, I think here, is it motivating, but it messes the acrostic up, so. But is it inspiring? N, is it necessary? And K, is it kind? Is it true, helpful, inspiring, necessary, or kind? Kind. In other words, is your feedback going to be constructive or is it going to be destructive? And then I want you to ask yourself do I need to say anything at all? And as you're trying to figure out if you should, I want you to see, ask yourself does something big hang in the balance here? Is it worth that? And if you still feel like you have to say something, I want to encourage you to start with words of affirmation and appreciation. Let's look at a couple of verses as we think about our words, as we think about even your own self. Am I being critical? Ephesians 4.29 says this, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful that so your words will be in encouragement. To those who hear them. And so, why is this important? Why is this important? What is at stake if we are not in our hearts trying to be helpful and encouraging in the words that we give to people? Proverbs 18 19, I believe, tells us, in Proverbs, by the way, you're gonna hear us talk about Proverbs a lot because Proverbs is a wealth of wisdom. I cannot say that enough. If you have homework this week, it's go and read Proverbs. It's gonna help you so much in this series. Proverbs 18, 19 says, an offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. Arguments, and I'm gonna throw in my own translation, harsh words separate friends like a gate locked with bars. We do have something at stake and I want you to be thoughtful. I want you to think before you respond. And as I finish up, I want to talk now to the one who needs to deal, who needs to respond. How do we best respond to what we believe are critical people in our life? And and I'm going to say this, we're going to encounter critics until the day that we die. There's no such thing as avoiding critics. And you will receive criticism, whether that's wanted or unwanted. I uh, remember not too long ago, maybe a couple years ago, I made what I thought was a very simple post on Facebook. It wasn't even my own wisdom. It was somebody else's. I was reading a book. I thought this, really, this quote was really good. And so I decided to put it on my Facebook feed. I had no ill intentions. I thought it was the most benign thing that I can do. And then someone got on there and hijack that post and begin to go off on the person that I had quoted on my, on my page. And I only say that to say, it does not matter, even sometimes your intentions, you are going to get unwanted criticism, even if you're trying to do the best you can. So what do you do with that? How do we deal with that? And I don't remember if I have a slide up here or not, But I'm gonna have five things. And again, if you wanna write these down and you could mull over them, you should. In fact, I told my life group this week, we started meeting again and I'm like, we're gonna actually do this as a life group this semester because I think it's gonna be so good for our group. Now you may have your discussion around this. You might not agree with everything that I've listed here, but best as I can, as I've dealt with this in my life, these are the things that I wanna go back to. Number one, anchor who you are in God and his promises. It's gotta start there. In other words, let me say it like this. If people, if other people are the source of your affirmations in life, you're gonna end up being in trouble. You're gonna end up being drained and derailed by critics. But if you could anchor your worth in who you are in the way that God sees you, you now have an anchor in something. You could anchor in who he says about you rather than what others might be saying about you. Or even in this, where I said, you know what, it kind of affects our confidence. This is where we find our confidence in God first and foremost. Second, anchor yourself in people who understand and appreciate you for who you are. Have, this is another way I'm gonna say this, have people around you who are your people? Anchor yourself in God, first and foremost. Anchor yourself in people that you trust. Now, we get to number three, expect criticism. When we are able to do something, we make a decision, whatever it might be, and you know you might get some feedback for this, listen, just expect it. That's half the battle right there because a lot of times what happens is we get it when it's not even expected, right? And it's like, psh, expect it. Number four, remind yourself, and this is really, really important, that not all criticism is bad. We need constructive criticism in our lives. And like it or not, criticism can be really, really helpful for us in becoming all that God wants us to be. And sometimes it just comes down to being humble enough to listen to the criticism we receive. Let me, let me read you a couple verses. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 31 says, if you listen to constructive criticism, you will be at home among the wise. In other words, you want true wisdom in your life, make sure you're listening to the feedback that you can take and say, you know what? You're right. Or as I heard somebody tweet this week, he goes, um, I'm gonna mess it up now. But basically, it's like, I'm going to receive that, and I'm going to take that, and I'm going to think about it. That's really, really important. James 1.19 also says this. Again, probably another key verse to keep in mind as we go through this. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Quick to hear. That means before we need to respond, accept it. Stop and accept it. Before you say anything. And then number five. This one's a hard one. And it's something we all have to work on. Every single person in this room. We need to be less offendable. Being less offendable. People. Especially Christians. Throw that word out way too much in my opinion. I'm offended by that. Oh, never mind. I was just going off to another sermon, but I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> That'll be another sermon down the road. Let me review those five things, and I want you to sit with these this week, today, in your discussions. Number one, anchor who you are in God and his promises. Number two, anchor yourself in the people who understand and appreciate your worth. Three, expect criticism. Don't be surprised by it. Four, remind yourself that not all criticism is bad. And five, be less offendable. And as I wrap up, I want to say something to another group of people in this room. I'm going to call you encouragers. As I look out over this room and as I see faces in this room, there are certain people that are encouragers in this room. And guess what? I'm not walking away from you in the church lobby. I'm walking towards you in the church lobby. And if you have the gifts, so you, know, you know what I'm talking about? Some people just have that gift of being able to say the right word at the right time that brings life to you. So encouragers, if you've been told you've been an encourager before, keep doing that. Keep doing that. The church needs you. This body needs you. So when I go back, as I'm wrapping up here, as to the fruit of the spirit passage, there's one or two qualities that stick out to me um, that both apply, I think, to the people who are, tend to be critical and also who apply to those of us who are having a hard time dealing with critical people in our life. And I'm just gonna highlight two. Number one is this word, gentleness. And the other one is self-control. Gentleness... In self-control, if you read through the book of Proverbs, and actually if you read through more in that passage in Galatians chapter 5 and into Galatians chapter 6, that word gentleness is used over and over and over again. And then self-control, for me, this really comes down to, you know what, two things. The, The one who's about to say something that might come off as critical needs to be putting that through their filter. And then the person receiving that also needs to put it through the filter of being slow to <laughs> slow to speak, quick to hear. Proverbs 15.1 says, a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. Said another way, gentle responses deflect anger, but harshness makes people defensive and upset. Galatians 6.1. This is right after that big long passage I read before. It says, brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by a sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful you don't fall into the same temptation yourself. In Proverbs 15.23, everyone enjoys a fitting reply. It is wonderful to say the right thing at the right time. So for the critic, stop and think. Here's the takeaways. Stop and think. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? And is it kind? And for those affected by criticism in our life, I want you to stop and drop. Stop and drop anchor. Stop and drop anchor in who God says you are in the people around you. Open your heart to constructive criticism. Be humble enough to do that. I've given you a lot to think about this week. And I hope as we go forward that we could start to implement this in our life that we know how best to deal with people who are difficult in the way that God says this is the most loving thing that you can do because guess what? I love all people. And you might be this for someone else. So be careful. Be careful. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for your wisdom. I thank you for the life that you give. God, it's possible that I've offended some in here today, even as I speak. And God, I just pray that we would be able to see you through it all that the things that I said that aren't worthy of being received and taken in that they would just go away we need to remember that but God if, if we have been touched in our spirit the Holy Spirit working in us to convict us of, of things in our life whether we're, whether we're being critical or whether we're not open to criticism God I pray that you would reveal that and, and I guess God my prayer is as a church and as every individual here that calls Hope Church their home, that we would be people who'd be less offendable, that we would be people who are gentle and humble, that we'd be thoughtful before we say what's on our, what's on our minds. We love you. In Jesus' name.